From The Ringer, I'm Tyler R. Times. When I spoke to NFL star Cam Newton in January, his mindset was clear. I want my whole career to be in Charlotte. Cam won't be getting that wish. He was released by the Carolina Panthers in March. Cam is a complex figure, and my interest in him goes far beyond his exuberant smile and transcendent style of play. Cam broke the glass ceiling in American athletics, ascending to a place in the sport that few black quarterbacks have ever reached, making his fall that much more dramatic. Over the past year, I've traveled the country speaking to coaches and teammates, friends and family, reporters, and even briefly to the man himself, trying to unravel the enigma that is Cam Newton. I uncover contradictions at every turn. How can the hardest worker on the team be depicted as a bad leader? And how can a franchise icon with an NFL MVP and Super Bowl appearance on his resume be so abruptly cast aside? The Ringer NFL Show presents The Cam Chronicles. The series premieres Monday, July 13th. Welcome to Jam Session. I'm Juliette Littman. I'm Amanda Dobbins. You know, we got some real live exciting celebrity news to discuss this week. I'm pretty excited about it. We do. At least like two instances. Yeah, it's great. Um, Look at that. Lily James and Chris Evans, we're going to talk about you. But first, a couple of great pieces in Vulture this week from... Alex Jung. The first was a uh, profile of Michaela Cole, who we discussed last week. Definitely check it out. We'll make you like her even more. And then today, a Q&A with Tandy Newton, probably most famous for Westworld at this point, but she's been in so many things, a very long career, which is one of the reasons why her Q&A was so fantastic. Um, yeah, it's a both. There are a lot of anecdotes for sure and observations. She's very candid. She uh, names names, which many celebrities don't do, but that makes it sound gossipy. And I, you know, there are gossip elements to it, but she is really evaluating her experience, um, as a, a black woman in Hollywood and just as a, as an actor in Hollywood for the last 20 something years with a lot of candor. And you don't normally get that from actors on, no. on the record at all. So we'll come back to this because the anecdote that was really making the rounds and jumped out the most was a story about Tom Cruise and who doesn't love a Tom Cruise story. And I, I really want to dig into that story. What we both really want to talk about this because she tells some really powerful stories just about how she has dealt with um, sexual abuse and racism. And it's, it's pretty, the, the stories are really candid. And I think also the way that this Q&A is constructed, her voice really comes through, which is awesome. And it, it makes the the piece like feel like a, a unique read. Um, I mean, should we start with talking about flirting or with the story she tells about Amy Pascal? Yeah, you know, and I th- I would recommend. I don't know if we'd like need to go line by line of all through all of them, just because, as you said, I think hearing them from her is what is so um, important and like and and special about this Q and A. And you're so right that so often you know their profiles are you don't really hear from uh, actors in this way that often, and they aren't as really open, um, as they are. And so the, the value is like in her reflecting on her experiences, you mentioned flirting, which is, you know, um, something that she's talked about, um, 
publicly for some time where she was um, groomed and sexually abused as a teenager by the director, John Dugan, I think that's how you pronounce it, um, on the set of Flirting. And, you know, she reflects on that um, experience again. And she reflects on her career. You mentioned um, an Amy Pascal anecdote, which was, I believe, during the um, negotiations for the eventual film, Charlie's Angels, the 2000 version which Tandy Newton ultimately declined to be a part of, in part, she says in the interview, because of her experience with both the director and the producer, Amy Pascal, trying to push her character towards um, Black stereotypes and things she wasn't comfortable with. And, you know, she reflects about other movies that she's been a part of, um, in- including Crash, which is a pretty uh, notorious Oscar winner at this point, and her feelings about being in Crash and ultimately, you know, as you mentioned, you mentioned Tom Cruise, her feelings about being in Mission Impossible 2. And, th- you know, they come from experience. She's the one living the life and having been on all of those sets and having been in those experiences and is like willing to talk about it. And so you and I could summarize it, but there's no point in that. We'd be missing the magic. I d- we should talk about the Tom Cruise bit for a minute. I mean, I am a sucker for Tom Cruise stories. He is incredibly famous and yet so unknown to me and again I, I think hearing her describe her Tom Cruise experience is what is so exhilarating is because she speaks about it with so much just candor and she's very yes. fr- and very frank but it's clear that he's also a bit of a mystery to her and yeah. it's like and it really evokes a lot of the trying to make sense of this person that many people you know, movie watchers and and consumers of pop culture have been trying to make sense of for many years. And she had a front row seat and it doesn't seem like it was the most positive experience. I guess we should just read a bit of it. Sure. Um, um, there's, it's sort of a, a, a twofold story, you know, let's, let's start with, uh, what it's like to work with him as an actor. Uh, so they, they were, they were shooting, uh, Mission Impossible 2, I believe. And (laughs) a scene was not really going well. And so this is what she writes. And he gets so frustrated with having to try and explain that he goes, quote, let me just let's just go do it. Let's just rehearse on camera. So we rehearsed and they recorded it. And then he goes, I'll be you. You be me. So we filmed the entire scene with me being him because believe me, I knew the lines by then and him playing me. And it was just the most unhelpful. I can't think of anything else, anything less revealing. It just pushed me further into a place of terror and insecurity. It was a real shame and bless him. And I really do mean bless him because he was trying his damnedest. And then she continues on. I remember at the beginning of the night, seeing the slight red mark on his nose. By the end of the night, I kid you not, this is how his metabolism is so fierce. He had a big white head where that red dot was. It would take anyone else 48 hours to manifest a zit. It was, I saw it growing and it was like the zit was me just getting bigger and bigger I remember calling Jonathan Demi. I described the night to him, a nightmare. As I was describing it, it was clear that I thought it was that I was the big fucking problem. And Jonathan was like, Tandy, shame on you for not backing yourself. He was really sweet. And then Tom called and I thought, oh, this is it. The apology. No, he was just like, we're going to reshoot this next week. And that is just a lot right there. I just got to say, this the zit thing is tremendous storytelling. That is just great writing. And she's not, I mean, she's not writing, though. It's, you know, she clearly has a tremendous, like, communication 
style and it's like which is part of what's so captivating in this interview but it just that puts you in a sense of place you have a specific mental image like the it it is part of like a larger sense of what she's trying to communicate about this person you can really see it it's obviously also quite memorable but it's like not really about the zit it's just kind of like then you understand what it's like to be her watching the force of nature that is tom cruise just going through it and it's like kind of uh, alienating and also fascinating and you kind of can't believe it's happening great great writing by her it's also so human it's like it really she has humanized tom cruise in a, in a way that i think literally no story about him in in like 20 plus years has getting is it is just so um common and everyone mm-hmm. is familiar with with the way that a zit materializes and changes and she just turned it into like this thing that happens to tom cruise as well and to your point it's like a, a great way of like narrativizing tom cruise but it also just it speaks to how she sees the world i think which is um through people as just like regular people and and like she obviously doesn't buy into all of the all of the bullshit and she's like this is just tom cruise a guy and and she, she's not actually actually what makes it so powerful is she's like acknowledging that it's tom cruise and she was like you know bless his heart but he can get his it and this is what happens to him when he's stressed out just like everyone else yeah and i i mean it's it is it's so i mean the zit is such like a great i, I don't know if metaphor is the right uh literary term here but like it's a it's a great symbol and it like quite literally draws your attention um in this anecdote to which is the purpose but i don't also want to drive by the um you know the, the fact that she's talking about like tense uh, workplace conditions and and feeling that she's there with um someone who's very famous and has more power than her and she's not doing it right and and the way that she is like recreating and reflecting on that experience and i you know, I I wouldn't say letting Tom Cruise off the hook, though. I, again, I don't ultimately think that it's my my place to decide that. It's how she wants to speak about it, um, and and make the decision for herself. But you know, recreating this this scene and that experience, like with a lot of nuance and reflecting on what she was feeling on it, and 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 what was going on, and I, like to me, like, I I was in her position and I really did understand the power dynamics and the difficulties. Um, but it is, it's, it's evocative. And we hear a lot of these stories and I, there's no one way to tell them at all. Um, but I think that that's a great microcosm of what makes this interview like so exciting to read because she just has such a, um, precise and connective way of, uh, of reflecting on this like extremely, long and varied career that she's had at this point. Totally. I think it's really, um, it's like really effective how she speaks in vignettes, essentially. Like she has a story to go with each question that is posed to her and in each, each beat of the conversation, there's a very specific, um, example from her career that she points to. And that just is really, I think it helps draw you in and like understand her experience and, um, She's she's obviously quite something. I mean, she's so good on Westworld. I don't I presume you don't watch Westworld. I don't watch Westworld. I I watched the first season and it is not my preferred form of entertainment, but many people enjoy it. So that's great. And I I I'm a fan of Tandy Newton regardless. All the best parts of the, of the show are the episodes yeah. she's in. And like yeah. every season, like of all the seasons, each time it's like her episode, like that's the best one. Probably the best episode of the whole show is from season 2 when they go into the um a different part of the park 
and it's just like focused on her and the, and the most compelling part of the show is her searching for her daughter i mean there's just no question like she is hands down the best part of that show and no i don't think anyone will debate it um it's cool that she's on tv i wish she was like on more television shows it sounds like westworld she mentioned it like she had been working on westworld for 12 months and like it's so insane that it takes 12 months to make eight episodes of a show i'm just sort of like what yeah. are you guys doing <laughs> Yeah, no, it's true. I was reflecting, you know, I, I hope she does more TV if that's what she's interested in doing. I, I was reflecting that this interview, which I, vignettes is like a, a great way of, of describing it. It's not that like it's a performance because performance like always has connotations of like authenticity, but, you know, she can hold your attention and she is like really um, able to, again, it's like storytelling, which, you know, every hack on Twitter says they're a storyteller now, but I think this is actually the case. But also she does this, via Zoom. These interviews are connected via Zoom. And I was just reflecting on how bad I am at Zoom and how hard Zoom is and how hard it is like, and the, just, just the, you know, or whatever video conference you're doing, um, the, the pressure that it puts to hold attention, both like it, in terms narratively and visually, it's a, it's a really tough room, if you will, the Zoom room. Totally. And I mean, this is a virtuoso performance. So as she can do like, you know, very expensive, like long 12 month, like HBO shows or like do a Zoom. Just give us a Zoom you know, tape. Shit, like th- there are a lot of different mediums in which uh, Tandy Newton can work well is what I'm saying. Yeah, I yeah. I definitely agree with you. I also, I think to that point, she she says that what really pivotal moment for her is when she met Eve Ensler at a performance of the Vagina Monologues, which I, I think that she also... um she just clearly has a, she just like can hold someone's attention to your point. And like, I, I would, I'd be happy to see her play all the roles in the vagina monologues. When I saw that anecdote, that was my thought. I was like, Oh great. Let's get her on stage in that play. And she can just play all of it. <laughs> and then you could probably film that now. Cause technically if it's, if it's a one woman show, it's socially distanced. Okay. Great. Yeah, great content. It's true. It's true. And I think we were just talking before we started recording how there's a lot of TV actors and actresses and showrunners doing interviews right now because we're approaching Emmy nomination season. So we're in FYC season, which make, which means that a lot of celebrities who would not otherwise be available for interviews are because they're, um, they're cooperating or working. They're either cooperating with their network or, um, just, you know, trying to do their own publicity and it's working in our favor as consumers. (laughs) Yeah. And I think we're actually probably getting a bit more of that content because typically like quote FYC content, which stands for, for your consideration, if you don't have to drive by all those billboards all the time. Um, a lot of traditionally those events and the ways of getting to, in this case, Emmy voters is, um, you know, via panels and kind of in-person events. And this year, because of COVID-19, all of the quote FYC events are like online and virtual only. And so it does seem that there has been like more access to all of these actors and creators because everyone is just kind of like, yes, I will do a zoom with you or yes, I will do this interview. Um, so there has been a lot of it. And and like in moments like this, you're like, great, fantastic. Give me an interview like this every day. But you raised a question before we started recording of like, FYC is ultimately in the service of, in this case, the Emmys, which are an awards show that are supposed to happen in the fall. And typically those are large events where a room is filled 
with a number of famous people. And for um, the purposes of Jam Session, at least, the main appeal of awards show, awards shows is that they are the, you know, one or two or three events a year where all the famous people are in one room and you get to watch them interacting and you get to watch what happens when, you know, Brad Pitt sits next to, I can't remember who he's sitting next to this year at the Oscars. He was in the front row. Yes, he was um, in the front row. I think he was next to um, Camilla, who is dating Leonardo DiCaprio. If I recall oh, correctly. Right. Okay. That's what what a night for her. Um I believe that's who he was next to. I think you're probably right. And but you kind of the Golden Globes is the most famous example of this because everyone's at tables and they have like the reaction cam. But I guess like, you know, the VMAs for a while were also trafficking in the reaction reaction cam. Oh, the sure. appeal. The appeal is like, I guess, awards, but I have always felt that the real appeal is kind of putting all the famous people in a room together. And it sure doesn't seem like that can happen this year. No, it certainly can't. And I'm just curious, like, are you invested in the Emmys? Because they announced that they announced that Jimmy Kimmel's hosting them. They're still happening in September. I know you're discussing this about the Oscars, which got pushed back on the big picture. Mm-hmm. The Emmys are like not as much of a glitz and glam event, though. I think obviously in the industry, they're a really big deal. But like, what what is the future of award shows without people being able to convene because like there's plenty of awards that are prestigious that like don't have these big like like MacArthur Junior Grants Junior Grants and Pulitzer Prizes those don't have like big award ceremonies to go with them but they can have a give out awards and they're prestigious so like in some ways like does this make an Emmy more or less valuable it's a great question I'm interested in the Emmys in the sense that I need something to fill my time like many of us. And for some, and for some reason, 20 to 25 years ago, when my brain was forming, I decided that awards shows would be one of the things that I'm interested in. And now I'm just like living in the reality of same Amanda decision. I, you know, here we are, we can only be honest about it. Um, and I'm also interested in the Emmys as a test case for the Oscars, as you mentioned, because I do, um, still care uh, about the Oscars in very, for reasons that can't really be explained, but I, I, in terms of whether the Emmys become more or less important, it's a great question. I think, you know, they haven't announced at least as of recording, like what the plan would be for the Emmys in terms of like one has to assume there will be a virtual component to it. It doesn't seem like in September we'll be at a place where like a large auditorium can be filled with people though. Again, um, I think what we have learned is that we do not know, and I'm not an epidemiologist and I'm not in charge of the Emmys. So nor am I in charge of where celebrities go much to my chagrin. So I don't actually know, but it seems like it'll be some sort of virtual event. Will more people watch it because they don't have anything to do? Um, will what will that virtual event look like? Will people like it? You know, we you and I have talked a little bit about, you know, Zoom live stream fatigue. I know I just spent the first half of this being like, Tandy Newton, do a Zoom. But well, the the just the sense of the makeshift events, like we get it. Okay. Um I don't know if the Emmys necessarily have to be quote makeshift just because they might not be the, you know, the usual way that they've been done. And and maybe they can be really innovative about how they do an awards show. Maybe it could be like fun. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, who knows? I, I can't, I, I don't know like what I want out of a zoom award show. The funny thing is it's like often very 
discreet events except for celebrities interacting with each other you know like it's like mm-hmm. now this award now this award like there is a way where you see you could re- really easily segmentize it and then obviously jimmy kimmel live has been doing a lot of like from at home segments as well but i think we just so fundamentally will will be starved for celebrity on celebrity interaction and like when will that come back to in front of cameras both as like part of scripted and like unscripted programming and also as just like the economy of celebrity it's kind of crazy like as obviously a a far greater concern are all the people who work in production who don't have jobs right now as a result of production shutdowns but then there's also like the whole layer of events and pr and appearances that's just evaporated from the fabric of la and it's pretty strange. Yeah. I mean, it, I completely agree. And it's, and it's also hard to plan for because it's not really clear when and in what capacity that um, things will come back, you right. know? And then it's like, how do you, what's your like zoom Emmys red carpet look? I'm not really sure if there is one though. I guess some people will try, I guess, you know, that'll be interesting. And I think you know, you got to make do. That's the whole, that, that is our attitude in these, in these past months Totally. and and try to keep people um, as safe, as healthy as you can. But I I was thinking the other thing about an awards show, in addition to everyone being there together and, and having weird, awkward moments that we screenshot and dissect is like that moment of the person on stage winning. And, you know, there's, it's like the cliche of someone like practicing their Oscar speech with a shampoo bottle when they're really young, you know, but like that, that moment of standing in front of a bunch of people and it like it being your moment. I don't know if you have that on zoom. And then I, and, and I think probably there's will be people who are like very happy when they are told that they win an Emmy via Zoom, if that is what happens. Also, you know, like we're assuming that Zoom would be the mechanism, but who can really know? We don't know anything. Let me just, this is wild speculation. Let me just reemphasize that. But it'll, it will be different. It will be different. It really will be. And like, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see how like award related stuff play out like how you know with with sports with sports attempting this comeback of like doing a a sealed bubble there's not aside from production of actual television shows where they i think like for example the bachelor is going to try this um there's not the same like environment you could really create for like the support supporting celebrity apparatus it's pretty it's like pretty interesting yeah and i think again in terms of apparatus that we need to create to support systems like celebrities is at like the bottom of the uh, list. Yeah. Sure. It just happens to be the concern of this podcast. <laughs> and it is the concern of this podcast. And so, you know, we've been like, I think we have all been struggling a little bit with that of, um, that, you know, there are obviously like really serious concerns in the world, like the, the health of, of many human beings and also in employment, because a lot of people are losing jobs and unable to afford, um, basic needs like food. And it's very serious. And, and and that is the primary concern. But then when you look for, you know, a distraction or some sort of break from the intense situation of the world, and then you're like confronted with the same issue, then it just becomes really like, man, there's like, there's nowhere, there's nowhere to go. So yeah, I agree. I don't know. I don't think, well, this is actually a decent segue into our next, our next um, topic, which you alluded to, which is Again, let me just emphasize, this is not important news. 
This is not about the concerns of the day. This is silly. This is frivolous. But it's um, nevertheless, it's Chris <laughs> Evans and Lily. I've forgotten her last name. Lily James. Come on. It's Cousin well, Rose. I, for some reason, I was calling her Lily Evans. Anyway. All right. Yeah. I know who Lily James is. The star of Mamma Mia 2. Uh, I have large overalls and other films. Uh, yeah. Who used to date Matt James, right? Um, his name was Matt Smith. Matt Smith, who is... Okay. Matt James is the future Bachelor and our current colleague, a different Matt James. Oh, that's right. We do have a Matt James that we work with. <laughs> um, I'm I'm sorry for my little um, vaudeville routine there. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> these photos. Chris Evans. Chris Evans and Lily James, Captain America and Cousin Rose, a.k.a. the young Donna from Mamma Mia 2, were seen exiting a club on in london one recent evening and man is this thrilling for so many reasons well they were exiting a club and then they met back at his hotel is that correct that's correct and there there are invasive paparazzi photos of this so we are already breaking our resolution to not look at paparazzi photos which i here here we are here Um, we are sue us here's here's why i'm exhilarated by this yeah First of all, London pubs like famously reopened on Saturday and like they were just like swarmed. And I hope that everyone remains healthy and no one gets sick. But it just sort of was like spot on in terms of like the narrative. I was just like, oh, my God, even even the private members clubs are back raging. And I shouldn't be like even I'm like, of course, especially the private members club, because that's what I think they were at a private club. They, they were. Yes. Yeah. In London, which they have like several. Um, And I. I think this might've been this place called the H club, but I'm not positive or not the H club. It's called like 10 Hertfordshire. I think that's the name of it, whatever. Anyway, I'm just like, I can't believe it. This is like so on point, unfortunately. Um, but also Chris Evans, just really excited to see him. What a dreamy, dreamy man. Just like, he's just still being Chris Evans during COVID. And we just haven't gotten celebrity relationship news like this in a while. And I feel like, I'm coming out of a gossip desert and it's thrilling. I felt the same way. My first reaction was like, is that allowed? Um, You know, not in the sense of them dating. Congratulations to Chris Evans and Lily James, who I hope are, you know, in a happy like arrangement doing whatever it is that is best for them. And it's not my business. Okay. But Mm -hmm. more, I was like, wow, they're outside. They're like outside at night. They went to one place and then they went to another place. And they like, I, because I, you know, I have not been doing that as much. And I, it's maybe because of COVID-19 and maybe just because I'm a lame person and I don't like really go out that much. But I was like, wow, people are mingling. And then they're, they're like making connections. Like people are dating and then it's like exciting and they're going back to the hotel. I was just like, wow, this seems like another world to me. Also, they're dressed up. There's no elastic in sight, no spandex yes. in sight. They're like wearing fancy clothes. Um, also, they're staying at a hotel, which is also like a thing people weren't doing for a while. So yes. there's just so many non-COVID safe things happening that it's like they're breaking all of the rules. And it, it's like we don't we don't condone it, but we are titillated by well, it. We should say we don't know that it's non-COVID safe. I'm, we're not going to like... Let's not You're get right. into I don't the, want to be a COVID shamer. You're right, Amanda. Like 
everyone, please take your health safe seriously and take the health of others in your family and not in your family out in the world seriously. Follow local regulations, follow like the CDC, like please be safe and please respect others' safety. That said, like I have no idea. They they are outside. I'm I'm not gonna like Zapruder film this situation. <laughs> I just responded to it as like, that's not what I'm doing. Number one, I'm not in London, which is like very sad to me. Many days of the year, but especially right now. Uh, I definitely have, she, Lily James is wearing heels in the photograph. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, I haven't worn heels in three to five years. Uh, definitely not in 2020. They like, and they look like they're having fun. And I don't mean to say that I have not been having fun, Juliet. I'm having fun being here with you right now, but <laughs> Thank you know, you. <laughs> wow, that was not, it doesn't seem like you uh, took me at my word, but they they looked carefree and i think that it probably takes a lot of resources right now to feel carefree um and i'm aware that they have them but i was also like wow that looks really nice um good and good for them truly i just hope everyone is safe and healthy yep yes and i don't know this is just a great if, of all of the couples that could be the first like paparazzi shots we see for like from like recent partying um this is to me as pretty straightforward as it gets. I'm just like straightforwardly pro this couple if they are a couple. Do you think they just like met at the club or were they set up? They must, are they like possibly working together on something? Is she in a, I guess he's not in Marvel stuff anymore. Um, He's out. Deuces. Yeah, he's out. Right. He's on the Apple show Defending Jacob, which I have seen every episode of, which I don't think many other people have. So (laughs) good. that's where I am. That's my 2020. (laughs) Yeah, I... It was it was exhilarating just because we have not had any news like this in a long time. And, and that is a, a strange reflection on 2020, but I'll take it. I will as well. Great stuff. Any other celebrity activity in your life? Not recent, not like timely celebrity, really the opposite of celebrity, like celebrity from 30 to 40 to 40 years ago. Yeah, 40, I think. 70s is, oh my God, it's almost 50 years ago. 1970 yeah. is 50 years ago. Wow. Don't do math, kids. It'll scare you. Um, no, I like briefly wanted to talk about a podcast that I have really been enjoying um, that is is a lot about like gossip and celebrity and also about movies. Um, Juliet, are you familiar generally with You Must Remember This by Karina Longworth? Yes, I am. I have not listened to it, but I know it's extremely popular. Yeah, it is kind of one of the it's been around for a while, like before the most recent podcast boom. And it's a film history podcast and it's written and hosted by Karina Longworth, um, who Sean Fennessy recently interviewed on the big picture, um, which is our film podcast, but she's done a lot of seasons. She has a very famous season about like Charles Manson's Hollywood. Um, and she does a lot of just classical revisiting and, and, and most previous seasons have been, She's she's a great film historian, and so she'll just do a tremendous amount of research and tell you something that you don't didn't know about some part of old Hollywood and put it together in new ways. And I, being a movie nerd, really am into that. But this season, she's doing something slightly different. So this season is about a woman named Polly Platt, and the title of the season is Polly Platt, The Invisible Woman. And I don't know if you're not familiar with Polly Platt. I'll do the short version. She was a production designer, a screenwriter, and a film producer in the 70s. And kind of the, quote, conventional narrative about her um, is as the uh, ex-wife of Peter Bogdanovich, 
who directed the last picture show. And as the woman that Peter Bogdanovich left uh, for Sybil Shepard during the last picture show. Hmm. And this is like big 70s film gossip. And so Polly Platt and Peter Bogdanovich still work together while um, like during this onset gossip that was happening. And also they were still married. Um, Then they split up and they worked together on two more films. um, What's up, Doc and Paper Moon. And then, you know, since then, Polly Platt goes on to work with um, James L. Brooks on like Terms of Endearment and Broadcast News. And she produced Bottle Rocket and Say Anything. Like she had a very robust career. But like until now, kind of she's been known as like the ex-wife and someone who Peter Bogdanovich like doesn't like giving credit to and who uh, like publicly. And so it's always been kind of in this, you know, gossipy like footnote of history. And so this season of You Must Remember This is about Polly Platt and it's about all of these things. But um, it's retelling the story with um, an unfinished memoir that Polly Platt herself wrote. Oh. And yeah, cool. and which um Polly Platt's daughters provided to Karina Longworth. And the the memoir portions are voiced by Maggie Siff. Oh, cool. And love yeah, Maggie Siff. And, yeah. And so I it's like I don't want to say that it's like the non-gossip version because there's just a tremendous amount of uh of of gossip and old stories from like that era of Hollywood. And if you're interested in that stuff, which, which I am, you know, in many ways, it is like the memoirs that we talk about on, um, on this show, uh, and then annotated with great film history and criticism by, uh, Karina Longworth. But I just, I thought it has been so interesting, like as a format, because the, you know, they have the memoir. So it is someone talking in first person and telling not just like the gossip or the career, but her own feelings and experience of it. And then because it's being performed by an amazing actress, I'm like, oh, you're like a real person. And it's it's such an interesting way to consume uh, this type of content. I don't t- typically like reenactments like in visual documentaries, but this works like extremely well. And you find yourself kind of like, I, you know, it's very much on Polly Platt's side, but sometimes I'm like, I don't know whether I agree with that conclusion. And I find that I'm like kind of having a, an argument with like a fictional not a fictional person, but a real person uh, embodied by by an actor. And it's just a, like a very interesting way to interact with, you know, old Hollywood stories and celebrity gossip and and how people tell stories about themselves. And I really recommend it. And that is the end of my monologue. Okay, <laughs> great. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, people love that show in general. Mm-hmm. And she puts, I know that Karina puts like so much work into every single season that she does. Yes. That sounds fantastic. I mean, especially with this void, you know, I was again, remarking on how reality TV stars just dominate right now. Cause they're like doing stuff and everyone else is just like, not, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the other thing is like, I, I do feel like there's been a lot of like nostalgia and, and like history. And we do that at the ringer. And this is like, this is like celebrity history as well as Hollywood history, because they are yeah. so often combined, but it's, you know, it's in the person's voice. And I just, think that's really valuable. Agreed. That's a wonderful, uplifting, positive note to end this episode. (laughs) Check out uh, You Must Remember This and we will be back next week.